Hey everyone, music lovers, book lovers, welcome to Textual Healing. I'm your host, Mallory Smart. On today's episode, we have two very special guests, Zach Smith and Giacomo Pope. If you don't know Zach, he is the author of 50 Barn Poems from Clash Books 2019. His stories and poems mostly appear online. He lives in Boston, and he is a master of genre and linguistics. Giacomo Pope, you might have already heard from in previous episodes, and is back by popular demand. He is the author of Chainsaw Poems and Other Poems, and the founder of the Always Amazing Neutral Spaces. And I think we all need to give him a shout out for working so hard in the writing community. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing things as tiny as pet names and as large as genres. We'll be going into shoegaze music, linguistics, themes, tones, just about everything. And as promised on our last episode, I'll be discussing alt-lit and we'll be trying to figure out what the genesis was of it and what we actually could name our writing community right now. I hope you enjoy this show. If you stick around long enough, you'll be able to hear not one, but both of them read. Uh, what's going on? How are you? Good. Oh, hold on, I've got a... I have a dog bursting into my into the room. Hold on one sec. All right, sorry about That's that. That's cool. I have the same issue, but with the cat, so she'll probably storm it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it might happen a second time, because we have two dogs, and uh, it's like a, I read about this early into the pandemic thing, about how people staying at home so much makes it more likely for dogs to get like attachment issues. Yeah, I've also noticed that like when I do Zoom calls and stuff, my cat comes up because I think she either thinks that I'm talking to her or that I'm talking to myself, and I've finally gone crazy. And she actually wants to do like a wellness check. Really? She's like, damn it, I rely on you for food. I need to make sure you're okay. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> That's good. You you have just yeah, the one I just cat. Yeah, the one cat. Nice. Starbuck. What's her name? Starbuck. Was that a like a Battlestar Galactica thing? You were the first person to get that. Oh. Really? <laughs> oh shit. Is that Giacomo? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm just listening to you guys. <laughs> just spying on us. <laughs> yeah, nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but isn't... Giacomo, I don't see you on the thing. No, I can I can only see Mallory's name as well. We're, in, we're hidden from each other. I'll show you a screenshot. Oh, I'll show Jacques, because you're not on Twitter <laughs> right now, are you? No. Why is that? Uh, I didn't. I didn't like it anymore, and I um. I I felt like it was um causing me to become a worse person. I think in like a general sense, and so I wanted to stay off of it to not like waste my time or energy feeling negative things or um like posting negative things so yeah 
Yeah, I never really was on Instagram. I had it briefly because Lisa um, from a Clash told me to have it. She told me to have it to help promote my book. So I made it and I didn't know what I was doing. And then I regretted doing that. And so I deleted it. I always feel really bad about that as a publisher because I do the same thing where I like keep trying to push social media on all the writers. And I'm just like, I know it's insufferable, but we need to promote the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I think it's hard. Yeah. Similarly, Jock and I have actually talked about this a lot. Our sort of weird relationship with um, publishing as distinct from the act of creating or just oh, writing. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think it's hard. I, I think it's in a way, I think the reason people are interested in independent publishing and art and stuff like that is rooted in the same reason they're bad at promotion <laughs> and selling things. And so it's, I think, I don't think it's unique to me or us or anything. I've definitely talked to a lot of people where it's like a, yeah, I think people go back and forth a lot. It's not good like for our mental no, energy. It's definitely not. The only reason I actually stay on it is I'm not really the business side of Malden House. My boyfriend is, and he's the one who's just like, uh, keep at it, keep at it. I know it sucks. And I'm just like, <laughs> all right. I'm just here yeah. to read the writing, do the editing, stuff like that. That's good. Yeah, I didn't know. I actually don't. I know very little about how Modern House is structured. I don't even. Do you have like readers for the website? I don't know anything about how you actually for run. For the stuff. most part, it's just me doing the reading. That's why it probably takes so long. Okay. But <laughs> <laughs> we we'll usually have about a four-week turnaround. Longer than that's pretty good. I think for uh, yeah, for I, you mostly I, doing. I think, I think. Yeah, I feel like you have responded to my submissions faster than other places with many more readers. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, with big staffs. Like, I know I had, like, I had a, a 366 day, I think, rejection from Barrel wow. House. And they have, like, a lot of, a lot of people. <laughs> I've been waiting for two years for Pank to get back to me. <laughs> oh, brutal. <laughs> I even thought I was going to give them a nice nudge by doing an amazing book review for Chris. And oh. no, that was not a nice nudge. It did not bring any attention to me. <laughs> I like that. I think that's funny. I think it's with Pank. I, similarly, um, I probably I don't want to say who it was, but someone had posted about soliciting content for Pank at some point, and I reached out and pitched an interview series, and they said yes. And then I conducted like three of the interviews and sent them to this person and then I never heard from them and they ignored my Twitter direct messages and my emails and stuff and so then I um, sent a few follow-ups basically saying like never mind I'll find somewhere else for yeah. interviews and then I did and then out of the blue like maybe six months after that they tagged me in a Twitter in a tweet and they're like we're gonna have interviews by Zach Smith coming out this month and I'm like no you're that not. is so awkward <laughs> <We drew> email. <laughs> yeah it, it just kind of um, sounds like you're Pink. like getting ready for a date and you already gave up on it and you're out with somebody else then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was it was uncomfortable. 
And I felt like it could have been avoided if they just, like, yeah, check their email. Yeah, I found that really you just have to like almost hunt people down like a bounty hunter when it comes to the lit world. It it feels almost humiliating and degrading <laughs> to a certain degree. Yeah, I think that plays into to the publishing stuff, the whole process of submitting and um, editing and promoting. I think like there's a lot of humiliation. I think that's why. As a reader, I try and get through stuff as fast as possible because I know just how freaked out it is to be on the other end. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't get a lot of queries, but when I do get a query, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'll put you right on the top of the list. I get that you're probably nervous. Yeah. That's really nice of you. Well, yeah, and this is all to say, I think, Jacqueline, I agree that you're pretty efficient at it. Yeah, I think. You two are awesome writers, so I'm psyched to be... (laughs) (laughs) thank you finally someone recognizes that and talks about it publicly you are not the first person to say that on this podcast and i'm like just so like fawning over people too much it just just shows how little research that did before coming on the podcast (laughs) yeah you know i don't i must i guess i missed it because it's it's funny i think so i i talked to jacomo and some other people a lot um, and I've become the resident podcast listener, I think, of the group. Mm. And I sort of <laughs> yeah. give everyone a summary of what's happening in the in the Lit World podcast. Can you name some good ones for so us? I, um, I, I really like Joe Balecki's um, Writing the Rapids I haven't read, I haven't podcast. checked that one out, no. It's good. I was on it. Um, Sam Pink was on it. He just had Never Angel North on it. That's a pretty good episode. Um He's really into like inside the castle, but he's not super pretentious about it. So he gets a good variety of like experimental and cool, like cool indie people. Um, he's always pretty you good. Like I like that show. One, right? What's that? You like Sean's one? Oh yeah, Sean's yeah. One story pod is really good. I think. Jacqueline, you're really quiet. Is there is there a way we can? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can. There I can tell you. Know. Yes, yes. I don't want to miss your your beautiful. <laughs> Your voice is, I think, the one that made everybody I, listen to the one podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we should make Jocko talk as much as possible. Maybe can you summarize for the audience my summaries of the podcast? For... <laughs> no, don't yeah. do that. Go back through the DMs. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think One Story Pod is good. I recommend that for people. I was listening to some old Other People episodes. The Sam Pink episode. I like really the Other good. People I, ones, I actually yeah. just... Yeah, they could be, I think, for me, hit or miss, depending on who the person is. But they're usually pretty informative of some component of, like, the industry or how things you know, work. You could help me out here. This oh. is one of those frustrating things. As a publisher, I've had people appear on this podcast, but I can't remember. It's where they read just, like, excerpts of the book. What is it? Like, talking? Oh, yeah. the talking book. Yeah. That was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're cool. They have like a sound studio in, I want to say, Asheville, North Carolina. One of the Carolinas. Um, yeah, and they do. Uh, I, I get they it. I get it twisted. Books, right? What's up? You're quiet again. They do whole audio books. Uh, I'm sitting back. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, was going to say they they record full audio books, and they also have a. Like their website hosts excerpts and people reading excerpts, and I guess they do it through a podcast too. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Shock, say something. 
I, I, I've been I've been feeling really self conscious about doing this podcast because I can't remember what I said in the last one. Oh, and and I keep I keep imagining being asked questions and coming up with some interesting anecdote, <laughs> and then having someone message me on Twitter being like, "Do you have only three stories? Why did you repeat yourself?" <laughs> And and so then I was like, well, maybe I should listen to my own podcast. And I was like, it doesn't matter enough <laughs> do that. to me to do that. I I'm not sure I can do that. So. I don't think you should be self-conscious of that because something I feel like I've learned from listening to a bunch of podcasts with people who have um, like publicists, I think is the thing. And what I've read about publicity is that you basically need to just have this meta story about your work that you just push every chance you get and so if you do an interview <laughs> circuit you end up just saying the same shit over and over again because it's like been sort of processed in a way to make you endearing to is audience. it like that lady gaga thing she did when she was uh promoing a star is born and she said it like 20 times like oh 99 people don't need to believe in you all you need is that one person and that one person was bradley cooper and she said it like 35 times. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. I'm unfamiliar with that specific thing. I'll just send it to you later. Although now you're telling us so it worked, right? Yeah, I think it worked because you're it talking did. about it. And I think, Enough yeah. that like, I think they even like made fun of her at the Academy Awards. I don't know. <laughs> That's good. Good. They should make no. <laughs> no, I think it's it's okay. interesting. And so this is all to say, I think, Jacqueline, I think if you just repeat yourself, then people will probably think that you have a good publicist who like coached <laughs> yeah. you. Zach Smith is my publicist. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna yeah. ask you, I am recording everything right now. Do you want me? <laughs> do you want this to be in the podcast or do you want me to do like an intro and we jump in from there or I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it's sort of a bad start. Okay, I'll do an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, what were you going to say, wait, John? Before, yeah. bef before, you, before you do the intro and we start recording this properly, there's a chocolate on my desk and I'm going to eat it. Yeah. I have no idea how much the microphone is going to pick up, but if I know it's not included, I'm going to do it. Can you anyway. get really close to the microphone? Maybe that's how we can start. <laughs> God, I love that. I've been recording this the whole time. Okay. I want to listen. It's a really good chocolate. Oh, good. It was worth that. <laughs> okay all right now i'm ready okay it's actually pretty funny i'm just saying <laughs> the intro but i don't actually do that anymore in the shows but all right <laughs> i actually record a separate <laughs> intro now in the beginning but i'm gonna do this anyways that's good that's what brad was doing. yeah that's actually what got inspired <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna make it my job to talk about the other people podcast as much just as possible plug other podcast. people please <laughs> <laughs> if you think this is good you should check out Brad Vistie's podcast <laughs> <Exactly>. other people <laughs> oh my god I wish that we were popular enough then we can like get them to sponsor us no oh man that's meta having a podcast yeah po sponsor your actually, podcast actually we are like sponsored that. on another podcast <laughs> what is that um, uh, they do an ad for our podcast on another one total freebie it's uh, the losers club podcast and they talk exclusively about Stephen King stuff and yeah the lead guy is a friend of mine and he was like oh my god I love your podcast can I plug it I'm like thanks yeah 
Oh, that's great. Is that because this is a Stephen King podcast? No, it's just because we're both dorks. Oh. I am wearing a Losers Club t-shirt, though, <laughs> if that counts. Is that from yeah. it? Is that a it reference? Have you seen it? Uh, I, um, I think I watched the first of... How many did they do? They two? did two of the movie, like chapter one and chapter two, and then they did a miniseries back in the 90s. Right. I only saw chapter one of the new version. And that was, I go to the, well, before I had a kid, I would go to the movies maybe like twice a year. And for whatever reason, that was one of those. And I remember we went to this really upscale, like corporate fancy. I don't know how to describe it because I don't go to movie theaters. It's probably normal now, but it felt really insane to me that it had like these super reclining chairs. And I remember eating a really big box of mozzarella sticks and watching this like horrible <laughs> Stephen King movie. That's the best way <laughs> to see a movie. No, I actually prefer to go to uh, smaller theaters, usually like indie ones, but that's where I saw the first one. The second one I just saw when uh, it was like okay. direct to TV. Nice. Okay. Let's do the intro. Okay. So, get all the laughing out. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, don't interrupt. <laughs> okay, welcome to Textual Healing. This is Mallory Smart. I'm here with Zach Smith and Giacomo Pope. How are you guys doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is Zach. The next voice you're going to hear is Giacomo. I, I'm also good. Wow, that was so. He's also quiet. Very quiet again. and succinct. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining you normalizing this so the quietest point is the right yeah. medium. And so the rest of the podcast, I'm overbearingly loud. <laughs> Can you Do you compress it like a lot? Like, are we going to be louder than the Red Hot Chili Peppers? I'm going to match everybody's volume later. And I have multi-tracks recording everybody's individual mic. And then I have a single track in case that actually everyone sounded perfect in the first place. Nice. Wait, this yeah, is it's a pretty cool system. You should feel good about but, it. But I'm imagining someone signing onto their podcast program for the first time and loading up your podcast and hearing us discuss the way that we normalize our voices <laughs> and then being like, yes, this is what I want. <laughs> this is perfect audio. Are you kidding? I, I'm keeping it a secret <laughs> and I'm going to cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> it's an hour long podcast of introductions that she that keeps cutting. <laughs> That'd be so excellent. It's actually going to be, it's just going to be completely spliced up audio of Mallory telling us that we're going to cut it and then me and Zach laughing. There is a podcast where um, we just did with Noah Cicero and the whole time I was just like, don't worry, I'll edit this part out. And Andy was like, she's not, she's going to say she's going to cut it, but she's not going to cut it. So now wow. I just have to be like, damn, well, what did you end up I doing? have not finished editing that episode, so we'll see. Oh. Okay, maybe, so. maybe I'll cut it, maybe I won't. No, I believe just Twitter. Yeah, a lot of people got off Twitter. It's very interesting. I thought that was the one last refuge for us. For us? Uh, I'd I mean? say millennials, vaguely. Oh, yeah. We're on yeah. the way out. I mean, we were on Facebook, then Baby Boomers came for us, and then we migrated to, I don't know, Twitter. But I don't know where we all go from here. I think we just get off the internet. 
Yeah, go downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> we just move on with our lives. We just put our cell phones away and just act like we actually can interact with each other in real life. Yeah, I think that'd be that'd be good. Yeah. I wanna do that. Well, thank you for having yeah. us on to your podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I imagine just saying, okay, gotta run by <laughs> I don't know, like thanks for having you guys. It was a fun laugh. <laughs> A way to kind of balance the fact that my last episode was about four times as long as every other episode. Yeah. You would be shocked. <laughs> this podcast is just introduction. You're actually, uh, you set the average now for us. The next couple of podcasts oh, are good. closer to 45 minutes to an hour. So you're still the longest. You're an inspiration to podcast guests everywhere. <laughs> I didn't think talking. people were going yeah. to listen for that long. I thought they would get bored. But no, they don't. Yeah, me too. I I <laughs> would join the chorus of praising that episode. I feel like it was, as the resident literary podcast expert in the community, <laughs> I feel like that is one of the more engaging episodes. I actually, uh, I got some contacts from people from neutral spaces who were like, that was an awesome podcast. I'd like to be on the show. Nice. I actually met someone in person. And I was like, that was very wild. I'm going to be doing them later. Uh Dmitry Samarov. Oh my god, I'm fucking up his last name. Oh yeah. That sounds familiar. I think I... Yeah, he he um he sent me an email the other day that was really sweet saying, um, can I send you some books? Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Um to say thank you for neutral spaces. Yeah, so, he's a cool guy. Which is cool. I haven't got them yet, so I don't know whether it's a good <laughs> gift yet, but it's yeah. it's a well intentioned gift. If it's a if it's a bad bundle of books, then we can just get back on the <laughs> do a follow up episode, <laughs> shit talking. I can say it's pretty good from what I've been reading. Um, I've been reading his one called Hack. Uh, the thing I like about him is that he's actually from the USSR, which you very rarely meet people. He's older than us, obviously, but he has very interesting history. I think that'll make for an interesting cool. episode. Uh, actually, I also have I also have inside information that he submitted to the Neutral Spaces magazine, and I accepted it, so... He has written at least one. At least story. one. Oh, I was wondering. I, okay, I remember now that his, his name is familiar to me because he submitted to the quarantine and I rejected it. So, <laughs> <laughs> He's 50 50 now. Yeah. It's probably, I don't know if that's a mean or neutral thing. Well, to say. it's neutral spaces, so I mean, fine. <laughs> yeah. But no, I was going to ask the first question for Giacomo, but he already admitted before the uh, introduction that he doesn't remember. I was going to ask if you could do <laughs> a recap of the last episode that we had you on. That's brutal. Um, Don't ask him to do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I can I can remember feeling self-conscious for not talking about music yeah. enough. Um, I, I feel like we hit the abstract idea of music a lot. I think I, I think I told that stupid anecdote about me buying a book about existentialism after my therapist therapist told me I was having an existentialist yes. crisis. I like that anecdote. Uh, I thought that was good. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I told that. So I won't do that one again. <laughs> Just do a different variation <laughs> of it. Maybe you're going through a new existential crisis. Who knows? Well, how about how about we say? If you're interested in my anecdote of my existentialist crisis, you can go back to my previous episode and listen to it with me oh, and Melanie yeah. talking. That's that's great. I'll just have you say that. 
Okay, so how do you two know each other? Uh, I like Zach's band. That's that's that was the first point of contact. Three trucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I liked um, yeah, I, think- I liked Giacomo's band, uh, "Be Softly," which did the uh, yeah. which record which. I I feel like the story behind it is interesting, and I'm I'm sorry if I get it wrong, but my understanding is that Sam Pink had uh, read excerpts from "Your Glass Head Against the Brick Parade of Now What's his poetry book on House of Loud, and put them on like SoundCloud or something, and then Jock took them and with his recording partner recorded like a like a 25 minute EP and set Sam's excerpts to that, and so it's like this very emotionally engaging spoken word over music like a sort of like a post-rock mm-hmm. kind of soundtrack and i thought that was i i listened to that like a whole lot i think sometime in 2017 is that how long you two have known each other yeah give or take i guess i think so, so i don't know yeah. why it's just i always associate you two with each other i guess uh do you think there's like a <laughs> barn chat interview that you did on neutral spaces that I thought was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Do yeah. you guys remember it? Yeah, that was good. The the one we did with Elizabeth. Uh, there's a lot of people in this. I am not going to lie. Kevin Gonzalez. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was fun. It started as it was just Jock and Kevin and Mike yeah. and Jelzik and I doing it. And then I think we were doing it at Twitter DM and then someone made the joke. I think Jacomo made the joke that it'd be better if Elizabeth Ellen were in the interview. So I emailed <laughs> her <laughs> and asked if she was interested. She said, yeah, um, but she didn't have Twitter, obviously. And then Jacomo had coded up like a, a <laughs> like a secret page on neutral spaces to just host uh, like a private mm-hmm. chat. But then she said that was too complicated or something, or she didn't know if she'd be able to find the time to do it. So she just wanted to do it over email. So we moved it to email, but Kevin um, didn't know what reply all was. <laughs> and so we did almost the entire interview with him only replying to like me or Mike or Giacomo <laughs> until the very end. And then we had to end it. I thought that was a really good punchline. I have the same issue. I just keep forgetting to CC people on email. <laughs> so then I'll like reach out to someone else. I was like, did you get the email? They're like, what the hell are you talking about? That's good. And I just have to screenshot it and be like, oh, this is what we were talking about. I feel so bad you're left out. <laughs> you're not in with the in uh, crowd. I feel, yeah. I feel like it's a blessing to be left out of emails. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the yeah. best part about being left out of emails is that you don't know you're left out of emails. <laughs> so. Yeah, the invisible guy. Unless someone really rubs it in your, your face, at which point you're just like, ah, I did not need to know that. You're like group chats where everyone shit talks. I haven't been part of anything like that yet. <laughs> Maybe that's a life goal. <laughs> not that you know about. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, wait until Barn Chat too. We could really go in on Model House. Oh, believe me, I am sure that there are some funny, dorky things people could say about me. No, I was kidding. I don't think 
I don't think I know anyone who harbors any ill will toward you specifically. I'd be so curious if there were, but I think it's because I am probably one of the most, like, I don't give a shit writers. And I just, I don't know. I don't want to have any ill will with anybody. I'm just kind of cool with everyone. So, yeah. And the few people I dislike, okay. I never say anything about them. <laughs> well, now's no. your chance. Think yeah, do you put them on your podcast? I will <laughs> never, never. I, you will have to do, like, torture methods to get that out of me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Jock and I go way back, and we're good buds. We talk a lot. And I think it's good yeah. that people associate us together. I feel good about that. You two that. are like a dynamic duo. I would love to actually see you two write more together like a collaborative project <laughs> so, well it's funny that you say that because zach smith and i have written a book named poem mm-hmm. yeah but so we also talked about is... not talking about it so i don't know where that puts us for the podcast i'm, I'm not going to read an excerpt i mean maybe i read an excerpt <laughs> we were like, talking i feel about... like we set the rules right <laughs> i guess we could do whatever we want yeah, we yeah we wrote a book length poem together that I think we're calling Two Million Shirts," and um, we had this I I still kind of want to do it. We had this idea of doing like a, a a launch reading where we would do it on like Twitch or Zoom or something where we would both read it at exactly the same time, um, like separately, so it's sort of unlistenable, and then get uh, this this guy you probably know josh mm-hmm. sherman is uh he likes the term cyber writing a lot and he's a house dj and i haven't talked to him about this but i thought it'd be funny to get him to like do a really hardcore dj set on like the third stream i'm actually very curious about this because i've been hearing the term cyber writing a lot and i feel like as an editor i should know more specifically what it is but uh how would you define it cyber writing um my understanding is because uh, I know we're no longer alt lit, so right. So I don't want to insert myself into this narrative too much, but from my experience, what had happened was I was writing a blog for a little bit, and I had written a post um, about the term alt lit and and what people were using now, and sort of what the connotations were. Um, and I wrote it from a like a a really nerdy linguistic perspective about like how genre names are actually formed um, at like the morpheme level, like the sub word level. And I sort of came to this conclusion that for a variety of reasons, it's really difficult to come up with a catchy term for like a writing movement, especially let alone one that happened after Altlet because um, you can't really modify Altlet in a succinct way to retain the meaning of Altlet, but then like, frame it as a new thing it's sort of like a terminal name it's like post-punk I was say like, maybe we could be like metamodernists or something like that sucks <laughs> like that doesn't mean anything well so i'd written this <laughs> nothing post means and... anything <laughs> <laughs> right yeah because then yeah well then you have to include like the postmodern thing yeah you do I don't know. it's all to say then i think this guy jake i think his name is had made a sort of a joke tweet about it. it's called cyber writing <laughs> and uh, i think the confidence of that and the sort of ridiculousness of the term caught on and it became like a meme and some people took it more seriously than others i dig it i dig it isn't 
I, I feel like that's how they all work, though, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So my research into it, my understanding was that all that was sort of proposed as a term, like uh, like tongue-in-cheek. And this is pretty common, actually. So that was another big part of what I'd written about um, in that usually uh, like a genre name isn't proposed by the people who are inventing it or participating in it. It's usually applied by like a, a journalist or some critic. Uh, and usually the most iconic representatives of a genre will fully reject the term, <laughs> which I think is really great. And it's also true for alt-lit. So like Mira Gonzalez and Jordan Castro and all these people are like, I'm not, never was alt-lit. It's not a thing. Blah, oh, yeah. blah, blah. I know but I was interviewing Noah Cicero was. and he was just like, nope, <laughs> no, I was not alt-lit. Yeah. I was like, ah, okay. Yeah. But people like the inventors of like, I don't know. Um, it's, it's true throughout different music. I, I, the one I can remember specifically is that Zach Hill, who was in the band Hella and is in Death Grips now. Um, people described him as, as recording noise rock music. And I think that was one of the earlier usages of the genre and he fully rejected it. And I think for me, that cinched it like, yeah, you, you're the progenitor of noise rock. <laughs> I feel like you just came up with the ultimate segue from literature to oh, no. music. Like right there, you did it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, you just need a linguistic background. Okay, again. first yeah. I actually, can you tell me that thing that you wrote? What was it called? Oh, yeah, I wrote, um, oh, man, what was it called? Uh, so back, maybe for some backstory, back when I was um, in grad school for linguistics, I was really depressed, and I hated what I was working on, and I was really into shoegaze music mm -hmm. at the time. And probably, as you can tell from me rambling about Outlet in my blog post for a little bit, I got really interested in um, genre name formation. Uh and yeah, sort of like the history and, and the etymology of these things. And then also band names. So I wrote this paper about, uh, it's called The Role of Phonus Themes in Shoegaze Naming Conventions that was published in the Journal of Onomastics. And onomastics just means the study of names. So uh, it's sort of um, based on this Ian Cohen. I don't know if you know him. He's a music critic. He, was, he used to write for Pitchfork. He reviewed a single by a shoegaze band. The, the name of the song was something like I don't know, swirls Swirl. or something, or swelling or something. I'm on your yeah. paper right now. <laughs> there you go. Okay, yeah. And he basically said that shoegaze bands really love functional names, and I think by that he meant that they like names and titles for songs and albums that are reflective, sort of, of the music mm -hmm. itself. But um, and then that didn't really seem fully true because a lot of the words. So I, I noticed this. If you look into it, there's like this pattern in shoegaze band names and song titles and album titles where they have lots of similar sounding words, even if the meaning of the words don't have anything to really reflect the music itself. So my paper is about this idea of phonus themes, which is um, that in languages you have uh, little clusters of just sounds that have their own meaning sort of in them uh, and that they can be leveraged for like brand naming uh, and stuff. So uh, a good example in English is the GL sound, which means something to do with light. So you have all these words like glow and glimmer and glisten and gleam uh, and glint and all that stuff. Those all have to do with light, basically. I feel like you could have been like a forensic linguistic 
uh, analysis for the FBI. Like you could have caught the Unabomber. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably. Like comparing yeah. his writing and being like, yep, this is him. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. That's a job a lot of people talk about. I don't would never want no. to do that. Um, I just liked sort of wasting it on shit like this. So that was the idea it. is that you have these sounds and then um, shoegaze. So there's a few of these sounds in English map to terms that I think reflect the music of shoegaze itself. So the SW and the RL and the WR combination. So things like swirl, whirl, whorl, uh, um, twirl, these kinds of things. They all uh, um, have the semantic meaning of rotation. And uh, so that was just the analysis yeah. that like, so lots of bands in like heavy metal will use what I think you would describe as functional names where this, the, the meaning of the words themselves reflect some aspect of the branding. So like you could, yeah, Cannibal Corpse is a great metal band name because it's like too, like, <laughs> you know, like death oriented uh, words. It's alliterative and scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the thing about shoegaze is that it's, you don't just have bands called like Swirl, but you have things like Swoon and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which don't mean rotating, but they have the sound combinations. This is all to say that it's leveraging the phenomenon of phonosemes to do that semantic stuff more than other genres would. Now, I feel really bad. I know a little bit about shoegaze music, not enough to like get as into it as you are, but I want to know why uh, you said Giacomo compared your band to post-shoegaze. I don't know. You have to ask him. Well, lucky we are. He is on this podcast. Uh, why did I say post-shoegaze? Um, I feel like we're in a position now where you can't authentically be a shoegaze band in the same way that I don't believe you can authentically be a punk band. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think. Are you in, saying like, it's because we like hit the decline and it's no longer like the scene that celebrates itself? Like, no, no. I mean, no, I, I think it's more that, um, So like I don't know, as a super dumb example, if you meet no someone, such thing. well, no, I mean it's a, okay, a reductive example. Then, if 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 I um, imagine a blues band, I feel like proper blues music is old, and mm-hmm. if I meet someone who plays proper blues music now, they're either in a cover band or a bunch of dads rocking out in a garage. Or, or, they're, or they're doing something removed enough from what was originally blues that we now have a new genre name for it. Um, and I think Take that. And I think punk, as an example, which I know slightly better than blues, you know, really took people's imagination for 10, 15 years. And, mm-hmm. and that, uh, the initial rawness that came from... Um, I mean, I, I'd say some of the defining parts of punk that separated it from maybe what was kind of slowly becoming heavy metal at the same time was this disregard for song structure. Um, you look at, I don't know, I don't know, Black Sabbath and Paranoia. They, 
it it was it was aggressive to new ears, but it was still definitely a song. Oh, definitely. You might not like it. You might find Ozzy Osbourne offensive, but but I don't think anyone would. Um, I mean, <laughs> to go back to blues, it really wasn't that far away from just twelve bar blues. Um, but if you look at what was coming out from the original punk stuff, it was chaos and it was unstructured. And I think as the seventies wore on into the eighties and as other influences started to come into aggressive music, punk disappeared in America. You had a huge hardcore movement and in the UK you had what, you know, kind of went from thrash metal to death metal and started going in other directions. And you now have bands who play punk like the last podcast I did that playlist and I put on limp wrist and I think they're sick and that's proper punk, but they're Mm -hmm. not doing anything sonically that wasn't done 30, 40 years ago. Um, And what Zach did with three tracks was shoegaze in the sense that it was creating that same emotional space, but nothing about three tracks would fit into what, we understand shoegaze to be at the same time. If Zach had gone on a tour with My Bloody Valentine, they wouldn't have been considered the same genre. Interesting. Um, I think that's very and sorry. Well put. So, no, I, so, I actually think it's well put, yeah. So 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 my feeling with what Zach did was he obviously liked shoegaze. You listen to that record and you hear it throughout the whole thing. But to call it shoegaze is wrong. So would you um, say it's just derivative or no, no, I think doing shoegaze now would be derivative. Okay. If if someone sat down and made a My Bloody Valentine record now, like, what are you doing? Why? Why, why not just listen to My Bloody Valentine? Um, and, and that's not to be aggressive towards people who hardline into a genre, but I think there needs to be movement in in what you create. And, 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 and to go back to literature, which maybe the people who are listening to your podcast will be more comfortable with, if if I go and make a website and typeset the whole thing in Verdana and talk about using Gchat and being lonely, what am I doing? Why didn't I just post a link to Bear Parade? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If I do that now, I'm not alt lit, yeah. right? You can't you can't describe writing now as alt lit because that bubble's no. burst. So I I, I think. Post shoegaze is a lazy label, but it was to signify the fact that I think Zach had progressed what the essence of shoegaze was into something more contemporary. I think it's very interesting. I would say almost the theme of this episode right now is that there, we just don't even agree with the genres at all anymore. Well, yeah, I think it's... And first I want, I want to say thank you to Jocko for this <laughs> kind of analysis of my music. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think that's what I was getting at. I think that's where this discussion that you see online now is coming from. And part of what I was trying to get at in writing about it too was you need a lot of things to align to have a genre. But I think um, I think now with how inundated with culture and like cultural history we are now, like we're more self-conscious or self-aware of things like genres and scenes and fitting into some historical ledger where I think a lot of people sort of want 
there to be a name for what they're doing when there's no real need or reason for there to be a name for it because it's not that cohesive yet or might not ever be. I think for a, a true genre to be invented and for the term to stick around, I think that takes a lot. Like I mentioned, it takes outside critics sort of taking it seriously and talking about it. It takes a lot of shared aesthetic qualities. It takes a lot of engagement among the like the artists themselves and the media. And I think alt-lit had that. And while people don't like the term as much, it's definitely a real term. Like it, you know, it has its own Wikipedia page and all this stuff, but I'm not convinced that what anyone is doing right now, I I wouldn't call it alt-lit, but I also, part of me thinks it doesn't really deserve a genre because no one's talking about it. And I think a lot of us have, moved beyond those original writers so so many of them aren't even really in the writing world right now so yeah and that's the other thing like all it's got a lot of negative connotations and a lot of backlash and i think a lot of people conflate the personalities with the writing itself which i feel has frustrated me but i think it's hard for people to be taken seriously for trying to progress the genre in terms of the writing sensibilities because a lot of people have I think in some part convinced themselves that the writing itself or the quality of the writing or the stylistic choices are bad because of what they think about the people who are doing it and not so much about what it means as writing itself in terms of style or structure or form. So I think that, yeah, there's a lot of, <laughs> I think it's, there's all to say, yeah, I think it's like, we're definitely in a post all the world, but I don't think it's um, cohesive enough or interesting enough or, people are engaging with it enough that aren't just doing it themselves for it to like have a genre name, but people like the idea of having a genre. I struggled with this more from music than literature, I guess, because I don't really think about my own writing that much, but um, I don't think genres are for artists. I don't think artists like them and I don't think artists find them useful. I think genres are for fans and for communities. And so as an example, you go to a party and you're 17 and you're meeting someone and someone says, hey, what kind of music are you into? You can sit there and list off a bunch of bands. But if you're like, oh, I've been really into techno for the past six months, it helps. And someone understands you. It's it's this language game we play. The, the genre communicates something outside of the art. But if you go and ask each of the artists who I've just called techno, are you techno? You might find all 10 of them go, no, I don't like techno. Please stop calling me techno. I do X, Y, or Z. And and they feel validated in that response. But but it, it it's the same for, like, <laughs> I mean, a lot of these people are my friends, so I, I don't want to, I don't want to shoot them in too much. But like, if, if someone said, hey, what kind of writing are you into? And you said, oh, let, a lot of people would understand that to be Sam Pink, Noah Cicero, Tao Lin, Brandon Scott Gorrell, whether or not you like the whole group of them or one of them or whether any of those writers want to be talked about as outlet even, it, it, you have no control over that as as someone who writes. And, and, and so Zach and I can control this dynamic duo thing where people associate us with each other. But if someone suddenly gave me a label that I thought was naff and it was their way of talking about me and Zach and a p- couple of other people, then there's nothing you can do about that. And I believe in order for that to happen, you need fans. 
And the reason that a lot of these small bubbles don't have um, an interesting genre name is because we're not popular enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, we don't have fans. We don't have critics taking us seriously. Like, Altlet had people in the institutions paying attention. Like, Taolin had uh, stories in like legitimate print journals and yeah he had like like miranda july and everything pushing him (laughs) yeah and if you look at all these old like even html giant comment sections from 12 years ago or whatever you had is that still out there uh well they just rebooted it um earlier this year but you can still find all like the old stuff um yeah i think it's like where i line up it it's good and at least in my experience i think the independent institution is important and you should like if you can't find what you want then you should make it yourself and find other and connect with other people who are doing that and i i feel like i've had some success with that and i've connected with some people and have worked toward that to some extent um i think people should do that like uh but yeah i think it yeah to shamelessly (laughs) shamelessly self-promote I I made screaming into a horse's mouth because I accidentally made neutral spaces, which is this kind of big inclusive thing, and I like it. I, I, I don't know. it's become complicated, but I have neutral spaces now. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a beautiful sight, but, by the way. <laughs> thank you. But screaming to a horse's mouth was my opportunity to have no submissions. Mm-hmm. You can't get your poems on there unless I want them, and. <laughs> And I send messages to people when I discover their poems. I go, hey, I love your poems. I have this website. Would you like to be part of it? And sometimes people say yes, and some people, sometimes I don't hear back from people. But I don't particularly care if other people like the website. I do my best to show it with people, show it to people, because I genuinely think it's the best poetry website on the internet. <laughs> um, which, which which I'm not even sugarcoating. I just genuinely like it. Only has poems by people that I like, and I like every poem on the webpage. Mm-hmm. So I think no. it's reasonable to think that your own opinions are the best because that's what best means, right? There is no right for me. This right, ties exactly. into what. You, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. I don't. I don't yeah. No, no, no it's, it's not objectively the best, but it's my favorite. Maybe it's another way. Another way to say it, but. It's almost impossible to define what objectively the best is. So yeah, you're totally spot on. That for me is why I feel <laughs> yeah, right. strange about people talking about getting better as a writer or looking for edits to make their piece of writing the best. Because I think mm. for the same reason that we're all interested in independent publishing or small press publishing is that that for most people means like what would baseline resonate with the most people at some level mm-hmm. and that gets really close to this idea of workshopping something enough enough so that it's just vaguely interesting to 8 million people as opposed to being really really engaging and interesting to 15 people and i <laughs> see now that sign i'm not interested in at all like i've never really workshopped stuff before but if i were to have someone tearing apart my writing i want them to help like force me to clarify what I'm trying to say, right. you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually think, 
Sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, I, go I don't for think it. I'll be long with this one. Um, I think my desire to be criticized is reflective of my low self-esteem. I don't I don't genuinely think there exists a criticism from someone who simultaneously makes me feel like I'll be happier with my writing while encouraging me. I I got, yeah, I've had some, I've had, I I actually got, I sent a a book of my poems to uh, a poet called Anthony Barnett, who is much older than me. I think he's in his seventies and he refuses to read anything online. So I couldn't send him any poems until I had a book published. So potentially the best thing about Chainsaw Poems being published is I could send a, a book to him. Um, and, he, and he read my poems and he said a couple of nice things, which I actually can't remember. But the criticism that I, re- that I do remember is that he felt like I didn't have enough confidence in my images, which was interesting to me to hear. That is interesting, um, yeah. And, and I thought about it and he... He, he he basically pointed to the fact that I was hiding behind whimsy to protect myself from some of my images. And it felt, it connected. I, I valued the statement because I felt that it was true. And so I, I think there's the potential for criticism in small pockets, but I have to also be aware that the criticism came from someone who I admire. So the whole thing's already pretty complicated. But um, I think Zach's closer to something authentically good when you say that the criticism shouldn't mean anything because you're trying to create something from within yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good, um, that's a good experience you had. And I, I feel like we've probably all had similar experiences from hearing from different people that we have that relationship with. I think this all just goes back to like, you're not getting that if you don't know who is editing some magazine or why they're editing it and what they're approving. And I think you need to be like, and as much as Jacqueline likes to talk about being self-conscious or have low self-esteem, I think he's very confident in what he wants to accomplish with his writing. And I think you need that to be able to understand what good criticism is. Like I've had experiences of getting feedback from people that whose opinions I value and who I thought understood the piece or some authorial intent and I would take what they said seriously and people who I like as people, um, but maybe who misunderstood what I was uh, trying to do with a story and what their feedback was, I think helped me understand that what they didn't like about it is what I did like about it. And that made me feel better about it Mm -hmm. as the piece, regardless of if it was like accepted for publication or not. Like I'm going to have a piece in Hobart sometime. I don't know. March maybe. And um, it was a good experience with the editor who was Joshua Hebern, who's the guest editor at the time, because Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not weird to talk about this, but I really appreciated our interaction because he gave me some, I gave me some feedback and some ideas on what he thought the story could or should do with these certain images. And for me that portrayed, like he was saying exactly what I wrote them to not do. Um, and so it made me feel more confident in leaving certain things the way they were because that, mm-hmm. uh, for me, it showed success. Like <laughs> it was, um, the fact that you're thinking this could be changed to do this and to have this in 
impact or effect means that I did what I wanted to correctly. And I think that is also good. But I think where you're just like spam subbing a bunch of shit to a bunch of shit and you just get a bunch of yeses or nos or you get people you don't know or trust telling you to change random shit. Like I've also gotten feedback from people who similarly, whose opinions I don't value much and who would give those kinds of suggestions. And then I would feel really bad about changing them. And as soon as it was published, I was like, if I'm going to publish this in a book later, I'm going to change it back to the way it was because I didn't like that experience of them conditionally accepting it and trying to undermine a message of the story. I 100% feel you, definitely. <laughs> Can I ask what kind of places you usually submit to other than obviously Malden House and Hobart? Um not that many places right now. I think I've always had this issue. I think it goes back to not knowing like what places I really enjoy. Um, uh, like uh, as a repeat reader, it just comes to the thing. Like I'm always curious, like what people are aiming towards oh, these days. Yeah, that's a good question. That's funny. I, I'm always surprised when I hear when I see certain people talk like, uh, or when I would see it on Twitter or something, talk about, oh, I got a personal rejection from the, I don't know, Paris Review or something. And it's like, I'm not sending anything to the Paris Review. So I, I'm surprised you are. But I guess because I'm coming at it from a different... This is all to say, no. So currently, the only thing in my submittable queue is uh, something I sent to Wigleaf in September that I don't know, this probably will be rejected. Um, but I mostly, every once in a while, I'll send something to X-Ray because I really like Jen. And yeah. I like them. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. Um, I like the, I like their editorial staff. I like Crow and I like Jen. Um, I don't know Joe really, but mm-hmm. she does the CNF or something for them. Uh, depending on who's editing at Hobart, I've had experiences sending to Hobart where I feel like I never understood how their editorial rotation worked, but it's monthly. And so unless someone announces that they're editing it, for that month, if you send it, it's going to be someone that you probably don't know and they might not get what you're doing. Uh, they have that spinoff uh, magazine yeah, now yeah, too, yeah. right? Had. What is it? Yeah. Had? Hobart. Yeah. Hobart. <laughs> yes, is that what this stands for? <laughs> I know Bud Smith did it, like where he yeah. was a guest editor for a little bit, but they do it like where it's only like a limited window, yeah. right? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's not that many I, um, places. So, Jacques, you're doing stuff for yeah. Neutral Spaces magazine. Uh, I just retweeted I it, and mm-hmm. someone was actually asking, like, what you're looking for. So, what are you looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I replied to that tweet. I didn't oh, did understand you? it. Yeah, he, 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 said, um, he said whether there was a theme, and then he asked for guidelines for poetry. Yeah, I think people and, just need to read the site. Well, I, I, I said I said there isn't a theme. I'm just going to collect a bunch of stuff that I feel sits right. Mm-hmm. Um, the guidelines for poetry made less sense to me. I, I don't understand what. Yeah, guidelines like, are hard for I, poetry. I mean, like, does it? Have, am I meant to tell him it's supposed to rhyme? <laughs> I <laughs> think like <laughs> most people are probably like, how many can I send? But I think you wrote that somewhere. How many pieces someone could send you? Yeah, I I think I did, and and, I don't know. and even if I didn't, I mean, I think yeah, I think what we're circling around, at least my right. experience with this is, or my feelings on it is like, this is part of this issue of people 
viewing everything as an opportunity to like climb some set of stairs instead of engaging with the community. Like it's like, it's weird. (laughs) Well, right. Exactly. But even then, like, you know, like I do, like, I don't, uh, I'm not going to send my stupid fucking like lowercase non-rhyming poems to like, I don't know, some, to like poetry magazine or something because I'm not like I don't care about them and I don't care about the people there and or whatever like but this is also I think this applies everywhere like I'm always surprised like when I did the quarantine and when Jacqueline was doing the, the neutral spaces magazine like people who have never heard of you before don't know who you are don't know what you write don't know what you read don't know who your friends are don't know where you publish don't know anything about you or what you like or what you want to do just see a retweet show up because of an algorithm and they're like, oh, here's an opportunity for me to uh, gain something. And I will send them something completely unrelated to what they're interested in. And I will feel entitled to their, um, to their attention. And I will try to leverage this into something, some sort of personal gain. And I, that's what really rose me the wrong way about how a lot of the writing community is right now. Because it feels like people just throwing shit at the wall to try to get some sort of opportunity as opposed to engaging with what is being published or who's writing or, you know, does that make any, does that make any sense? No, it, it's writing and late capitalism. I mean, <laughs> but, but it's, it's interesting because I, I, I don't want to, I don't want the whole podcast to be Jack and Zach rail against the indie lit community. Oh no, no, I'm for it. No, but like, no, but like, like, <laughs> by saying that though seriously you have just named us but <laughs> yeah but indie lit has existed like in different oh, people decades for a while yeah right yeah it's, it's bigger right but i i the last time i submitted i think let's give that a caveat in case i've just forgotten but i'm pretty sure was when i was doing chainsaw poems mm-hmm. and i had this kind of um what's the right word I felt like I owed it to Kevin to submit I hadn't really been submitting anything but I was like Kevin's taking a chance printing my books so I should like show people what's in the book to attempt sales I guess Mm -hmm. and so I I went through the book and I I pulled out a bunch of poems and and I sent I sent like three or five to Hobart and I sent a handful to Morden House I sent a couple to Tyrant. Uh, I can't remember. I think I sent about five emails in the space of one hour <laughs> to a bunch of presses that I that I respected, and I was like, "Right, I've done it." I hope we published you. I am you searching. Did it. You rejected him on the day you no, recorded no, no, the podcast. It, 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 it's it, one of my favorite stories. <laughs> it's like she just said no. I was supposed to record the show in twenty minutes. <laughs> Should I bring this up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I was about to, but but what what I think is interesting is it is so I did it I did it with respect to I knew I had read the journals that I was sending sending it to and so I was acting under the assumption that kind of I like this magazine so they might like what I do but then on the flip side if I'm being honest I can't remember the last time I read a poem on Maudlin House. Like <laughs> I have been refraining from publishing poetry lately, but I think it's because I personally have fallen out of Ooh. love 
with poetry. Sure. So. But but th- this isn't to put you on blast. It's the opposite. It's to kind of spotlight the fact that I'm in in a certain sense everything we're talking about today. I I acted hypocritically in the sense that I was like, hey, I want to try and sell some books, so I'm gonna throw a bunch of emails at magazines which I respect in the hope that they'll publish my writing to help me sell some books. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know it would have would it would have been would it have been good? I have no idea. Like, I probably wouldn't yeah. have meant anything. But it's it's interesting. <laughs> I don't I don't think yeah, that's necessarily like, true. And I mean, actually, yeah, I've done the same thing. It's right. I think everyone does. I think that's what that's why people do it, right? Like at least I know speaking from that patio press we put out Neil Clark's book of flash fiction, microfiction. And he has a lot of fans or a lot of well wishers, um, people who follow his work and support him. I think partly because he's very widely published and has made himself sort of a minor figure in flash fiction or microfiction and some communities online. And I think that turns not only into book sales, but also like book reviews and, and you know, excitement. I, I, don't, I, I think that's exactly related. I think everyone does the same thing. <laughs> I, I think it's very easy to be widely published, but also just like have a shitty personality or a bad like Twitter account or something like that, that would turn people off of sales or, you know, I, I, I think that it's obviously much more complicated, but I think this is, I guess maybe we're operating in this world of like, I know, you know, I think the three of us here and most of the people listening are like, there's a few journals that I follow, a few writers that I follow, a few places I want to be published in. I have a budget to buy, like, I don't know, 15 indie books per year, and I do. I'm excited about what the people I'm preferably writing next to publish, and I'll buy those books. And, you know, it's a rare treat to find someone who's been widely published before that you just discover, and then you read their back catalog and buy their books, and it's great. Um, mm-hmm. But I, so I, but I think. So this is where I've been going back and forth on this. Like, do I submit things for publication? Yes or no. And part of it is like, it's not even so much about self-promotion because like Jock said, I think we all feel hypocritical and bad about that, especially when it doesn't pay off. Um, or even when it does like, or, you'd like to think we all feel that way, but okay. well, uh, <laughs> but this is honestly like the other part of me is like, I want to send things out to um, make the, to, to keep people interested in participating themselves. So mm-hmm. it's, it probably sounds really self-centered, but I know there are people who like my writing, um, even if we're not like close friends. And I think if they see a story by me come out somewhere, they might feel uh, more motivated to write something themselves and send it to that place or read more writing from that place. And Cause I know this is true for me. This is true for different authors that I feel this way about. So, and I, it's been really sad for me to see, a lot of people whose work I admire get burned out on the publishing game because it sucks and they hate it um, and then disappear and stop publishing or have their last time their writing taken down or they stop sending stuff to the small magazines that they originally, you know, uh, worked with. I think that's disheartening because it feels like people move on or they don't want to be a part of the community that helped build them anymore. The priorities of someone's life really changes a lot. I've, I've definitely witnessed it with quite hell, even people I publish. Yeah, sure. So no, exactly, and yeah. I like I understand yeah. it, and I'm not like mad that uh, 
I'm, or maybe I am. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to explore this emotion myself, and I'm contributing like to the problem. therapy session. <laughs> yeah. But this is all to say, like, I, I feel like there's multiple reasons to want to publish something, and you can hope that it helps you sell books. But also, I don't really want to sell books. I feel bad about expecting people to pay money for my book because I don't need them to because this isn't my job or career and I don't like you know oh I'm fine like I don't need people I don't need my four dollar and 98 cent check from clash books every two months like that's I don't care it's not going to change my life but you know I want to be I want to engage in a certain way to so other people can feel excited about engaging can I ask a question that is completely unrelated but sort of when it comes to royalties (laughs) yeah with Spotify, um, what are the royalties for that when you post your songs? Oh, I have no idea. Actually, Giacomo would know better than I would because he owns the account that put my record on Spotify. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, actually, um, <laughs> so the, the first time I messaged Zach, I think Zach messaged me, actually. I bought his EP off Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Because um, it wasn't on Spotify, so I was forced to. <laughs> um, so I, I had to give Zach money so I could. I've keep been forever in debt to him because of this. Um, this is why this is our whole relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that three dollars or whatever I spent. And Zach, Zach messaged me and said, "Hey, thanks for buying my music. Can I send you a tape?" And I said, "I'm in the UK. Definitely don't send me a tape. That's insane." Also, I also I don't have a tape player, um, and and I offered to put his music up on Spotify because I've got this um, I've got a distribution account through a friend who does this more often than me, and we have be softly together. And anyway, um, so Zach sent me the the WAV files, and I put them up online, and, and they're there. And every time someone listens to that, I technically earn some money. You get um, something ridiculously small, <laughs> which it's like a pro- thousandth of yeah, a cent yeah, it, per six strains yeah Yeah. it's nothing there was um so i haven't checked the finances of beat off fleet in like four years so i i have no idea um i do know i also put some music up by another band who are attempting to get their living from music so i was more in the case of sending them some stuff and i think they had about a thousand Mm -hmm. streams one person had bought it from iTunes because it kind of distributes it through Amazon, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, I think I sent them like nine bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's um, part of this. Like that's I've yeah. talked about this on the uh, Writing the Rapids episode. Like the the gulf I feel like between successful publishing, I think in any media like music or writing, and independent publishing is so much wider than people think. Like, I've, you know, from 50 barn pumps, I've probably made less than $500, but I've spent that and more publishing the promotional blurb books to go with my book and Chaco's book, right? Like, it's uh, it's nothing. And then there's uh, people getting million-dollar advances on a debut. Or, you know, oh, like... Oh, God. It, That's rare. But well, yeah. but it exists or, you know, yes. they're getting yeah. $50,000 advances or. I, I would say that's more of the typical. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I don't think there is any typical. I, I think it, it obviously sure. largely depends on all kinds of things. But the point is like, if you're talking about 
someone is a bestseller somewhere, like the amount of money in the game is so much more, is so drastically different than, than what we're dealing with here that I can't take it seriously as a way to make money. And I feel bad about making money off of it. And I want to just put it back into creating the art and leaving it at that. And I, it, yeah, that's all I was want, wanted to get to on that like thing. Like, well, I guess my curiosity, maybe just <clears throat> step away from the money. Does it feel better for you, more fulfilling when people read your work or listen to your music? Honestly, I don't think anyone's listened to my music. I, I think I've probably listened to it more on Spotify than anyone else. I, <laughs> I, Giacomo, I think, is the only person to buy it. Like, it, it's, that's, that's the thing. Like, there's no... It, Have you ever played it live? <laughs> no, or? no. No, it's, it's kind of a funny oh. story how we got to that, but... Because I think that would definitely give you that feeling of like, oh, euphoria. No, you know? I know. Yeah, I mean, I used to play. In a, yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah. It he doesn't. can talk about that. He was in a tour <laughs> and everything. But yeah, I, I um, I left, I left music to do writing because I was so depressed about trying to publicize the music I had done with Sam and Zoe. You didn't get the satisfaction of like get, having audiences or. Well, there is no satisfaction. I, I think it's the point. Like, yeah, especially if you do things online. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I am. I, um, I don't know. It's you could elaborate. We're we're here. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm trying to trying to think of the right way to to. So when I'm anything I create, whether it's a website or a song or a, or a poem. By the time I kind of am finished with it, I generally have a feeling of satisfaction that the thing that I was trying to create now exists. You just sort of like done and with it. And then I get the... no, 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 not at all. There's just I um there's there's this kind of like first like I remember when I did the first draft of Chainsaw Poems, I was like, great, like I've I've done it, like I've written a poetry book. <laughs> that seems insane, and then um. And then there's like this um, evil, evil second voice that's like, okay, now people need to know about it, and and it's different. It's a different feeling. And when I was doing music, it was like, okay, now you have the EP. Send some emails to get reviews. Get you know, you've got make a music video. Get the music video on YouTube send that to someone and get them to feature it. And it's, it's bottomless, right? Like there's no, there's no end to it. You just add a zero onto the play count and set that as the next, Mm -hmm. the next thing. And, and, and I got that. So I was so down about trying to get people to pay attention to me. And this tension I had between genuinely believing that what I had was worth listening to, but not knowing how or why I deserve to be listened to over something else is, I think that's the tension, right? Like I genuinely think my music is good, but I don't think my music is better. Mm-hmm. So why, why should you stop listening to the album that you love to listen to my album? And, and, and trying to answer that question in any meaningful way was difficult. Interesting, And, and I, when I started writing, I had no audience or no concept of audience. So I was just writing and finishing 
and 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 I was getting back to that feeling of creating again and it was good and I did it for a couple of years and then suddenly I had a book and I sent it to Kevin and Kevin wanted to publish it and when Chainsaw Poems came out I went through the whole thing again of I need to get someone to like this tweet. I need someone to be aware that this book is out there. Like it wasn't even that I felt like I needed to sell a certain amount, but it, it was this kind of impossibility of when do you, when have you finished promoting? Um, and it, and, and it was, it was so awful. I'm never going to publish a book through someone else again. I'm never having that anchor of unlimited books. Mm-hmm. I, I hated it and 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 we spoiled it earlier by talking about it but if Zach and I do do this do do this book together I'm going to print a finite number and there will be that many and if you want one you can get it and they'll run out and then I never have to think about it again I don't I think I'd love to have the luxury of painting of there being a single object that that was finished and one person can buy it if they want it. And that's the end. There is there is no second sale. There is no interview. There is no TV place. You just you just make something. I think once upon a time we had publicists have these like solve these problems for us. <laughs> but I, I don't think anyone I don't think anyone benefits from doing their own promotion. I don't think it makes yeah. anyone happy. And I, no one likes to be doing that now. <laughs> well, I think even like the more I've been learning about how things work from the business perspective, like there was a little bit of that blow up about what a publicist is in the music industry with everyone's year end lists. But like even for the idea of a publicist as or an agent, even or editors simply just being people that know other people and through like conversations can, can create a, a you know, can, can sell a book to a major corporation or whatever, or, or get some big review. Like it's, you just put a bunch of money into it to try to get some more money out of it. And I think like even doing it really small time indie press stuff, like you either come off as really desperate and weird and you just like tweet at people to try to review your shit or you are part of this like pyramid scheme to get to know enough people so that other people can pay you to talk to them for you. Like that's what publicists are and that's what agents are. Like an agent goes out to like three brunches a day and pitches a book to some of their friends who have the power to turn it into a best-selling book or not. Like, and I, I think this workshop culture where you get established enough uh, to be someone who people will pay money to for your input. And then it's just like writers paying writers. And I, I think this just to maybe tied back a little bit to the whole indie lit thing that's happening right now. It's just writers engaging with other writers. There's no readers, there's no money. There's no like promise for money. All the money is coming from other writers. It's people charging each other for bullshit and it sucks. <laughs> I, no, I don't it's like so it. True, yeah. yeah. Like I hate this seeing this. It's either other readers <laughs> and writers or it's families of the writers. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, 
Yeah, it's your coworkers, it's your family members, it's your friends who just buy it out of obligation, or it's yeah, it's other people who are like maybe a year and a half behind you on the social ladder, who are just like, oh, I'm going to buy this book to engage in the community, and then in a year I'll be bored of buying books. Now I want to make a book, and I think that's what happens to all of us. And then we just sort of become part of this pyramid scheme, and some people take it further. And yeah, they start teaching workshops, or they start getting bigger book deals, or they start doing like paid uh, public speaking, whatever, or they, you know, all this stuff. And it's it for the most part, it's just people funneling money from people who just want what they have, <laughs> and they're like buying into it to convince themselves of its value or to get access or something. And for me, that's what I feel bad about a lot and I can't really justify doing that. Like I don't, I, I, I would feel better about selling books if I felt like I could convince some people I don't like to buy the book or convince people who have a lot of money to buy the book. I feel bad about convincing like, I feel like those <laughs> readings are kind of for, yeah. But, yeah. but even then it's just, who's actually going to those, you know, I, I sure as fuck don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, yeah, I think it's harder for writing too. At least it, and with the music angle, like I am a music fan and before COVID I would go to concerts with some regularity and I would see bands I, you know, didn't know that well. And I would stay for the openers and I would buy shirts and records and stuff. And while I still made music, I wasn't trying to frame myself as like, I wasn't trying to become friends with the local indie band so I could like open for them and make a career out of it. I just wanted to participate as a fan and for a long time, I did that with writing. And then I started participating as a creator, and the whole dynamic changed. And I feel like that's much more common in writing, where there are no just fans of independent literature. Like, there are fans mm-hmm. of independent music who aren't also trying to uh, get their snoot in the till and make money off of it, too. I always wonder if people who are into independent literature, if this is just like a step on a path to somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's true for a lot of people. And cause there's been success in that, like in what 2012 Roxanne Gay published something on Hobart and then an agent saw it. And then now she's a you know, best-selling author who's working on a movie with some famous person and all this other, I just listened to her other people episode. <laughs> so I know all these fun projects she's doing with like millions of dollars involved and all this shit. Like, and so you know, and you have Tao Lin who, you know, did all that stuff. He's got books on vintage and now Bud's on vintage. Like there's definitely a path through that people see and then they want that for themselves. I, I think a shocking number of people, or maybe it's not shocking, like come into writing thinking, oh, I'll just write a novel and I'll pitch it to an agent and I'll become a bestseller. And that's what writing is. Like very few people actually engage in publishing in small mags or even bigger mags, because that's not what they think it is. They think it's just you write a novel and you get famous. But even the people who know that it doesn't work that way, they, yeah, see everyone as a series of stepping stones. I think it's really telling when people break out and they get a big book deal and then you check their website and all of a sudden, like, they don't list their interviews with other indie writers or they don't list their publications on weird journals or websites. They just talk about their cooler, bigger name things. I. I think it's pretty transparent and it makes me kind of sad <laughs> as someone who doesn't I think want we that. We all know that like those people who do that. So yeah. Yeah. And I get it. Like, and that's the other thing. 
Like, I can't really <laughs> feel bad about people doing it because the people doing it usually don't have anything better to do. Like, their life sucks already. Mm-hmm. And it's for the same reason I don't feel good about convincing some unemployed writers in Indie Lit to buy my book because they shouldn't be spending their money on it. <laughs> Especially right now. This yeah. is such a strange time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to sell any books right now. I don't want to, unless it's, I'm selling it to some rich people. But like, so that's the thing I feel frustrated on and hypocritical about it. Like I get some people see this rich as a, people aren't buying your books. <laughs> I know exactly. That's, that's the problem. Find me some rich people who buy my stupid books and then we'll talk. But, but the only way to get, you need to get yeah. Kendall <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You need some publicist. You can get it in someone's. You know, I don't think the Dave. I think the Dave Eggers blurb on Barn Poems was directly responsible for only selling the books to Dave Eggers. Like it didn't do anything for sales, <laughs> and that's fine. Uh, I don't think anyone believes that Dave Eggers. Yeah, that's true. People keep questioning. It's a real blurb. <laughs> I get the email and everything. <laughs> I feel like he's the kind of person who would litigate <laughs> against me if I put a fake blurb on the cover. <laughs> it is Maybe a good blurb. It is a great blurb. I think he yeah. understood it. I feel good about it. Yeah. Um, I just love that I haven't read this book yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he got it. Um, yeah. I felt good about that. But yeah. So, this, so I, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of people come in as thinking it's like a, a way to make money and then some people do and that just is feeling the fire mm-hmm. you could definitely tell based on someone's personality by the way too like what they are planning to do or how they're using their presence here in the community right now yeah like you have no idea how many people i speak to who are like this is just my stopover until i get the big <laughs> agent and everything i'm just like good luck with that yeah I had one person like totally lay out their entire like game plan where they're like, I'm going to get published by you. And I was like, no, like, I'm going to get an agent. We're going to get a novel and then I'm going to get a Netflix special. Whoa. And I was like, wow. Yeah. The modeling house to ahead. agent pipeline is pretty well established. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we only have one. That's why I, I, I don't have an agent yet. Cause I'm not a modeling house yet. So. I can tell you if I don't have an agent, then most people are. Yeah, it's, yeah. This this podcast is called Mallory Smart Will Interview You, but she won't publish you on her website. I feel so bad. I am. My favorite okay. part about that story, if I can, is that you didn't publish the chainsaw poems, but you published my blurbs about the chainsaw poems. No, here's actually the funny thing is I'm looking at the. Things that Shakama posted. I did accept something, but uh, that I first met Zach in a barn. I accepted that, but you decided to publish it an X-ray instead. Yeah, uh, you wrote, this got picked up by X-ray. Would have loved to hear your opinion on it. Hopefully I'll have something else for you in the future. All the best, Shakama. Yeah, we're really getting into it. Yeah, but th- that... That sounds that sounds like I retracted it before you. Yeah, sometimes it. it takes a while. <laughs> when you have only one person reading, like I don't even want to tell you how many things I still have to read. The other one though, you did two poems that was this year. Yeah, that I mean I'm 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 putting it yeah. on the whole thing. Submit I, I, more I, please. I, I feel I feel like I'm I feel like I'm no. accidentally 
Making making this <laughs> making this sound like no 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 definitely some oh, yeah. more but yeah because I actually like the poems I don't know why I actually rejected it no this is fine I just... that, but I I think I think it's good you rejected it I want I want to send something in after this conversation that I don't need to yeah. reject that too I feel like it's important that that's how this goes <laughs> I think really you just want me to accept it so then you could withdraw and be like no never mind. <laughs> I I am um, I think there's this there's this also this um um I like Maudlin House because I'm not on Maudlin House <laughs> so there's this kind of notion of Maudlin House is that step above and I can mm-hmm. still enjoy it and as soon as someone accepts me it's like oh man they don't have that good taste they even accepted my thing like like th- this mag this mag is total amateur <laughs> hour I don't know what they're playing at so like. Like, if you want me to respect your lit magazine, Literary World, make sure you never accept Okay, I'm going to get hardcore against it. <laughs> In fact, I'll get explicit. I'll be like, stop submitting here. Yeah, please stop. You're embarrassing yourself. Exactly. You're a disgrace to this <laughs> magazine. Please stop. Yeah. Do you even know how to read? <laughs> I do know there's this one thing, and there are very tiny things that annoy me when people submit stuff. And I hate it because some people take it very seriously, but yeah. The one you submitted as an RTF file, and I immediately was like, ugh, fuck this shit. (laughs) You don't like rich formatted text? Yeah, I I get pretty uh, snobby about it. I also don't like Times New Roman and stuff like that. I rarely reject based off of it but i will go in with that predetermined thought what's better than times new roman are you like a garamond head person i'm a sans serif person in general oh, classic so. alt-lit bullshit Ooh. right there <laughs> lowercase sans serif size you know shockingly eight. it's not always lowercase for me i like a lot of times uh all caps and everything i like different like ways of formatting shit <laughs> I know, but i, I don't know joking. Did you read the drunk sonnets? I just went. I just went to get. <laughs> I just went to go get your book, Mallory, and I checked, and you do have sans serif in your book, so I'm, I'm happy that you're consistent. <laughs> there is no consistency in anything I say or do. D- never trust my word. That's a, that's another alternative title for this. Mallory Smart is consistent. <laughs> I hope you both keep that in mind when I ask you for the title later. You got it. <laughs> But yeah. Or St- Starbuck <laughs> is a sci-fi reference and not a singular coffee Oh, that's shop. right. That's oh, probably yeah. in the intro that Mallory cut, so we should clarify. Mallory's got a cat named Starbuck, and I correctly identified <laughs> it as a reference to Battlestar Galactica instead of the coffee chain or Moby Dick. You really are the first person who did it. I feel like, good about this. That's super cool. I was watching the TV series when I got her, and I was like, I don't know what to name you. And... <laughs> It just happened. The, the the real question now is, is Starbucks named after Battlestar Galactica? I believe, I'm just going to believe that it is. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know what we're saying anymore. <laughs> That's what happens when you have long interviews. Yeah. It's funny to be cut up a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, don't worry, we will edit. You know, it's funny because Jack mentioned being self-conscious about not talking about music enough in the last episode. I, somehow we talked about music much less in this episode. You know, actually, no, we did talk about music quite a bit. I mean, we talked about your music a mm-hmm. bit and Jacques, and also we talked about genre, yeah, so, shoegaze, yeah. 
I mean, I think that's really the goal of the podcast is that they really do intertwine in people's lives and everything. And a lot of people don't really consider that. But you know what? Let's go for the simple shit. What do you listen to while writing? <laughs> uh. <laughs> wait, wait, before before we do yeah. before we do this, I'm I'm looking at your book, Mallory. Do you still believe that you're gonna die with your cell phone in That's your hand? likely, yes. That is very likely. I carry my cell phone with me everywhere, so that's a very big chance. I think in your hand is the operating thing, right? Do you like wear air earbuds now? Because then maybe it'll die with it in your pocket. I do have AirPods, but... Um, Did I say AirPods? No. That's the yeah. dog movie. Uh, yeah, AirPods. <laughs> no, I always have it in my pocket, in my hand, on it, in my pocket, just because I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. So Yeah, gun grip. Always at the ready. And, 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 in, and also, is the cat in your poem in the expat book? Yep. Starbuck. That's cool. I feel like I understand these poems in a new way now. I'm like so touched that you have the book. Thank you so much. <laughs> I think it's my only ex... Uh, no, that's not true. I've got home. This is No, no, well. make me feel special. I'm yeah. the only one. I have your book too, but it's not with no. me. I can't just pull it off the shelf. I have line. like 70 copies right now <laughs> in my shelf that I have no idea what to do with. I have more copies of 50 Barn Blooms Bomb poems than I do with my own poem. It's not good. <laughs> I think everybody has too many copies of at least one book. <laughs> yeah, mine just happens to be fifty bombs. No, poems. you can't have too many copies of that. I think it's... See, I need a copy of that. Oh, brutal! That's a good power play. Uh, <laughs> oh wait, do you even have chainsaw poems? I've read a lot way? of bits, but. <laughs> <laughs> see this is good this is the real shit i i was talking about this on, on the writing the rapids episode where he mentioned that feeling like the writing community is full of these really good friends who all read and support each other and all this stuff but really it's like this really tenuous network of vague internet strangers and i think it's good sort of getting it out in the open like how few books by your friends even or like even the people you interact with that you actually like own or have read i think it's good i think it's good to be to, to be transparent about it like i i didn't buy the sam pink early works book from Eleven Eleven because i hate hardcover books and then really i feel like wow. then they did the soft cover and by then sam had had like three books come out that year and i was like i'm tired of buying books by sam pink i'm just gonna skip it what happened with me is that suddenly I just started getting a lot of free copies of books because we do reviews. So I kind of just stopped buying books for like the last year or two just because I'm so like buried with copies of everything else. Do you feel bad about accepting free copies for? Uh, no, I mean, as long as I do like reviews and everything, the only thing I feel bad about is if I'm not confident about whether I actually liked the book. That's the thing. I, feel, I it's weird how much of this, all this stuff is, is like these weird relationships and expectations and like guilt and obligations. Like no, I hate you know. obligations. <laughs> 
yeah, it's weird because I, it's, I think we've all been on both sides of the coin too. Like I feel really uncomfortable when people have asked to send me a copy of their book for free, but I have also asked to send people copies of my book for free. And see with that, I don't know what compels us to do these things. You, I, I would feel like that's a pretty normal interaction. What a harder thing is now, like for say, like me or even Jacques or anybody who works kind of on the editing spectrum, is you get close to somebody and then they want to send you writing, and then you almost feel obligated, like you have to publish it, and that's an awkward moment. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. I have felt that way before. I feel that way often about. And like, I just want people to know, like, if the writing sucked, the writing sucked. You do not have to accept my writing. (laughs) I wish people would tell me why it sucked, but Eh. I don't. Yeah, going back to that, like, I when people have rejected me and said specifically what they didn't like about it, like, I usually feel affirmed that it was not a right fit. Because it meant they didn't understand it or they didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important to me than just like exposure. But a lot of people don't operate that way. A lot of people just want, like, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't listen to music when I write. You don't listen to music? How about uh, before you write? <laughs> <laughs> I listen, I do those things separately. And part of the reason, to be completely honest, is that up until recording this podcast episode, and I, I told Jock about this, that I've had uh, something stuck in my headphone jack in my laptop, and I haven't been able to plug headphones into it for like a year. What did longer. you get stuck? I don't know what it was. And then um, just last week, I stuck a drill bit into it really stupidly. <laughs> to a, a spinning drill into the headphone jack of my expensive laptop. And then it was like a piece of plastic or something and it popped out. Um, so now I can listen to music while I'm on my laptop again. What do you plan to listen to? Probably nothing. I'll probably sit in silence. See, I can't do that. It actually annoys my boyfriend. <laughs> I can't sit in silence. I actually have music going in the background like all the time. Um, luckily he's half deaf, so he doesn't hear it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Sam's going to hate that I told people that. No, that's fine. I, I do listen to a lot of music. Sorry, I just didn't listen. But, um, concerts. Do you have any concerts you plan to go to once the, uh, Black Death leaves us? (laughs) Um... Maybe. I don't know. We just kind of moved out to the middle of nowhere, I think, as part of the pandemic. So there's probably, I don't even think there's any music venues anywhere nearby here. Where are you actually right now? We didn't establish that. Oh, yeah. I'm in the Boston metro area. Okay. And you're in Chicago. Yep. And Giacomo just moved to a town um, that's a, got a really funny name. Cheltenham. Yeah, it's nice. It sounds pleasant. I've started my new job over here. It's very middle class. I looked um, at a. I looked up. Have, um, I looked it up on Google Maps to try to find a, the coffee, uh, the cafes near Giacomo's apartment. Um, yeah, it's um, it's it's nice. I I don't know. I'm getting used to it still. Dig it. Are you able but to yeah, do stuff cool. right now there? I know that things have flared up a little bit in the UK. With COVID, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got we got the new strain. That's awesome. You guys are so la- you guys are last season. Um, oh come on! Wait till it hits the US. Uh, We're gonna do it bigger and better than you. 
<laughs> uh, uh, can I do things right now? I just had Christmas with my family. Mm-hmm. That was really nice. Um, tomorrow is Holly's mm-hmm. birthday. Um, it will be very quiet because all the tears have shifted up. So everything in Cheltenham is shut down again. So it will just be us hanging out together. We might see a friend depending on how stuff how stuff goes. I have but, to say that is the hardest um, thing is the birthdays during COVID. I don't know why the holidays mm. haven't bothered me, but birthdays, that one sucks. Yeah, I had a strange birthday this year. I turned 30, which I feel like Same is one year. of those ones that that, that has um, horns or whatever. Like People get worried about it. And um, it just kind of happened. I worked on my laptop from home. Holly worked all day. She she got back at like ten p.m. <laughs> I don't know. It's just going to happen. Maybe it's good, right? Maybe maybe I I didn't have time to start trying to shop around for red sports cars <laughs> because turning thirty didn't even didn't really have a face. Or I don't whatever. know why. I just never associate <laughs> England with driving. So. <laughs> I hate I hate driving. Driving's I love bad. driving. See, that's an American thing, though. Maybe. Yeah, I grew up going on road trips. Uh, I did all the time. I mean, we have the highway system. I mean, that's just what we were built around. <laughs> we have things. Yeah, you have them. But like... It's all fucking <laughs> dirt roads and high-speed rail. <laughs> and co- yeah. cobbles. We're just going to pretend that there are no roads <laughs> in England. Yeah, you guys yes, invented yes. those. Well done. Good for us. We did something right. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we did it. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, it was. It wasn't the Romans. It was the Americans. It was actually Mister Ford <laughs> who invented the road. See, capitalism again, <laughs> and anti-Semitism. Bring it in. What was Ford? Oh an yeah, he supported the uh, Germans and uh, the Holocaust. Yeah, I didn't know that. He supported the Germans in the Holocaust. I like the wording of that. <laughs> I know. It wasn't the best phrasing, but yeah. <laughs> there are so many better ways to phrase that, but no, yeah, he was very anti Semitic. Sounds amazing. I think Holly has a Ford. Yeah, yeah it's going to cast the Henry Ford Museum in uh, Metro Detroit in a different light. If I ever go back to that for the holiday season. I've never been there. Now I'll have to check it out. <laughs> it's like a whole thing. <laughs> Maybe you could protest outside. No, I'll just like mutter things the whole time through my mask because coronavirus is never going to go away. Yeah, it's just, what the, it's just the world now. Yeah, I'll just, just what we're doing. be muttering motherfucking anti-Semite to myself <laughs> every now and then. It's good to remind yourself of that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so All right, I think we're running out of steam. I was gonna say, steam. Zach, did you want to read anything? Or <laughs> um, you don't have to. Shock did it. Oh man, am I gonna be lame if I do read something? Do it. Do I have to hold the line? No, I, th- I, I, I think, think you should, should read something. So I have a. I'm gonna have a collection of stories coming out on House of Vlad next year, um, called "Everything Is Totally Fine." So, um, I'll find a, they're mostly really short stories. So let me try to find a, a good one. Um, cause they're mostly bad. So I need to find a good one to read. 
Have you submitted any to Maudlin Hazard? <laughs> no. I'm going to reject him on principle. I should. You should. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I will read a story called Normal Life 7. Um, so the book is divided into three sections. And one of the sections is called Everything is Normal Life. And this is a story in that section. Uh, We went to the new frozen yogurt place. The floor and walls were covered in blue and white tiles. It smelled like chlorine. There were no employees. The tiles made everything echoey and loud. We tried to stay quiet, but it was hard. There was a sink on the wall. There was a toilet against the wall. The yogurt was delicious. No one else came in. We didn't know how to pay for the yogurt. I ate some more yogurt. My husband got up to look for the bathroom. He couldn't find the bathroom. I went to the yogurt station. There were six different flavors of yogurt. There were 26 different toppings for the yogurt. I tried to remember where we had parked, but couldn't really visualize the parking lot. My husband looked at the toilet in the middle of the room. He looked at me. I put maraschino cherries on my yogurt. My husband unbuckled his belt. I ate one of the cherries. It was delicious. So that's about what you can expect from my book. I like it. <laughs> it's very short, but no, no, it's definitely interesting. <laughs> Incredibly, every story is about yep. frozen yogurt. Every story is about, there's actually a lot of penises um, also in this, in the book. I think that's what we should name the podcast. A, a lot, lot of penises. penises? Yeah. Why <laughs> not? <Seems> appropriate. Sixty six percent penis. I actually discovered that my the story collection has sixty nine stories in it. I feel pretty good about keeping it that way. I like that. I approve. Nice. If Thank you need you. a blurb, hit me up. You got it. You can reject my story. She won't, she won't send yeah. you no, I'm one. I'm serious. Send me your stuff. You and Jacques. Seriously. No RTFs. We're going to start modeling house after dark. No RTFs. And... <laughs> that would just be mad, right? Mad, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Mad yeah. Mad magazine. Yeah. I've, I've had this desire to do stupid shit like that. Like make a website that's named after an existing website, but just select, but like naming it number two. And then just. The goal would to make that. it way better than the one yeah. that you're parroting. Yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think you could do that. Yeah. There's not enough people like doing stupid shit like that. I think in, in writing and making these websites, I think. There's, a lot, there's like too much earnestness and like sincerity. Now you've given me a goal. There you go. Do it. I'm, uh, I'm going to register Model yeah. House 2 <laughs> on Namecheap. <laughs> I'm actually, no, I actually am working on one on something like that. I've solicited some people and I've got a lot of really great writing. And it's going to be called something too. And it's going to be good. The web, the website the website was total garbage so yeah. I had to redo everything <laughs> which I knew he would do which was great um, I just said Jock can you help me that's how I manipulated him into doing things I said can you help me make it mobile friendly for the phone and he's like yeah sure thing and he opens it and he's like oh my god what have you done and then he just redid he redid the whole thing and that looks beautiful 
dagger. Yeah. The dagger. So yeah, yeah. and then next year, Jeff and I will have I mean, a mystery uh, book-length poem out on that we're going to yeah. self-release. And um, yeah, and then all of my stories on House of Vlad. And Kevin's got a new book coming out on Back Patio. I feel like plugging that. It yeah. feels super exciting. Do yeah. you have anything you want to plug, Shaq? I know how much you enjoyed I've publicizing got, your last book. So, is there any? <laughs> I've got, I've got, I've got a set of poems which I think are really good, um, which are all a bit sad and depressing. Um, right up our alley. Which I might self-release at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, I did uh, chainsaw poems, and that was my, um, they were my funny poems, and then. Then the other poems I wrote were my sad poems, and they sat in two document files mm-hmm. I have. And um, I did Chainsaw Poems, and everyone who talks about that book talks about how it's about depression <laughs> and alienation <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> and so I, I have this other, other, maybe slightly melodramatic collection of poems that I think maybe it's best if they just stay on my hard drive. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether I'm self-aware enough to really understand the tone they're of what good. I'm going for. Oh, Maybe they're this, really funny. This ties it all Maybe back. Maybe they're funny. <laughs> I've read them. I think they're very good. And, and I think maybe to tie the bow on this on the discussion of genre names and music and stuff is I after reading them and talking about genres, I made the joke of coining a new term called new severity. I that like these that. would fit under... <laughs> Yeah, they're um, but I, I they they all they all talk about teeth. That's my favorite stuff. part. Okay, you're gonna have to send me some of those. I wonder whether. Yeah, we'll I see. want to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jack, I put in a good line about. Which of us put in the line about teeth in our book? There's a no, section about. Right, let, let, yeah. let me find it and then I can read an excerpt of the single <laughs> line. <laughs> Just the one line. Uh, so the word teeth appears in the poem nice. twice. Nice. So, uh, but one of them doesn't count because the word teeth is in the title. So there's one line that says, feeling like the guitar part at 632 in Teeth Like God's Shoe Shine. And the other line is chewing on teeth. So that gives you a good idea of the of the several thousand line poem. Those are those are two of them, and they are the only lines that contain the word teeth. I thought there'd be more. The word teeth. I like that you're just searching it as we speak. <laughs> We've got sixteen <laughs> penises. I feel good about that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is there anything um, else you guys want to share, or should we wrap it up? <laughs> I'm gonna if I'm gonna oh, if yeah. you can bear with me clicking. I'm gonna see whether I have a sad poem, and then I can read the awesome. sad poem, and we can fin- finish on a sad note, which feels like the best way to end this slightly insane and like chat we've had. <laughs> it just feels so bad that we're laughing as you're looking for a sad poem. <laughs> I sent I sent these poems to um, Blush Magazine, which is um, they were doing a chapbook competition. Run. Yeah, 
and I and I collected them together and sent them in, and um, yeah, that it, it didn't make it through. But I did buy some blush chat books as part of my entrance qualification. So at least I have some nice chat books at my bookshelf. I I got um, Sophie Jenis's chat book, and it's a seriously good collection of poems. So I'm happy I have that. Oh yeah, she's really good. So. I was going to say that Grift was successful. They rejected your chapbook, but you still bought some other <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah, but they, they also sent me some free ones as well. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are a collection of suckers. Yes. Let's go with a poem which I already have online, and then I have free will to edit the okay. ones which are not online. And I don't have to stick by this reading, which, of course, what 50,000 people will listen to. So big, big pressure. Um, let me find it so this this poem is called I am sorry for scaring you I am burying bulbs of glass I am threading lines of copper through snakes from the dirt I am screaming into a horse's mouth I am two hands filling with venom swollen fingers that fumble teeth deeper into the mud and I am sorry for scaring you I am buried in water Blisters soft and I tear through bubbling skin. I am forcing wire through bone to keep from crumbling to the ground. I am burying our horse. I am placing holes in the casket to allow for rot. I am looking for my teeth in your mouth. You tell me to leave but my knees are now full of lead. I am screaming as you pull the snakes from my mouth. You gotta say that's the end. <laughs> <laughs> I love that poem. I, like I remember that. you singing. That, that was really great. I, I'm happy you read this time, Jacques. Yeah, well, you know, if you're not going to publish my poems, I'm going to read them on your podcast instead. I need you to like send me something <laughs> today, just so he's I can just put it. it on the site. I'm just be like, damn, he's lying. <laughs> Actually, that, that would be the best end for this whole thing, for you to retroactively add those two poems <laughs> into the site with an old date so that I look totally I know, insane. I really should. And I'll actually edit out the parts where you say I didn't. <laughs> oh. oh, no, keep them all in, but edit yourself exactly. in saying, yes, I did, and then have a link to it in the podcast. Yeah, Exactly. Make him I feel sound like it was there. Insane. I could change the dates on it, too. <laughs> yeah. She has all the power. <laughs> imagine imagining a really hooky edit job where you just take away some of my words and replace them with you saying something but in a kind of low false british accent to try and <laughs> fraudulently put words in my mouth i'm just mouth. trying to imagine me doing i can't do a british accent i'm sorry <laughs> that would have been a, a, a much better podcast episode where we just try to imitate jacqueline's <laughs> speech that really would be amazing wait we well, that can be- Jack, can you do an American accent? Uh, not, not very well. I'm, I'm, I'm not very good at accents. Holly, Holly, Holly is the, um, the accent doer. I'm, I'm not willing to put myself on the spot and do it badly. I, well, I, I thank you for doing this with me again, Mallory. I, I appreciate it. I, I hope that um, the novelty of people clicking on the last link, be, you know, wasn't a one-time only thing, and that you've organised this because the last one was good, but this one's been a kind of horrible garbage fire. 
No, I think this one's actually going to be better. I think we actually have a lot more to work I mean, with. if it is a failure, I'm blaming Zach because obviously he's the new new, new piece, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. Yeah, I totally, I totally fucked this one up. Yeah, I, I brought a lot of emotional baggage into this and I rambled about band names for like I'm imagining, I'm imagining just, a comment yeah, on Twitter that said something like, I didn't listen to this podcast to have a boring lecture on linguistics. What are you doing, Mallory? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I think she can like... <laughs> Not interested in the emoji. Are they like... To end this with another criticism... What really sucks is that would never happen. Like everyone, everyone, like there's not enough, I don't know. There's not enough people rejecting poems on the day that they do podcasts. Yeah. Like I thought it was refreshing. I liked it. I liked the fact that you thought it would be good to talk to Jack and this poem isn't right for the website. I think that's good. <laughs> I think it's good that people can be like, this podcast was boring because yeah. Jack talked rubbish or Zach talked too much about genre phonemes, but no one does that. Everyone just retweets and likes it and says that it was interesting. If you've managed to get to this point, please say something negative, like criticize. Like, yeah. Like I was talking to someone about this and the way the Twitter engagement model is, is if you like the person, not even if you like the, the thing that they made or they published or whatever, then you'll like it and you'll retweet it and you might even reply something nice. Um, if you don't like it or you think it sucks, you'll just ignore it. And you, and no one ever says anything negative. And so th- that has moved everything to that. If you don't get engagement, then you are convinced that people hate it because that's how they express dislike. Mm-hmm. And people who say negative things are like pariahs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so i think it's good i was thinking about this because i was yeah reading something that a lot of people whose opinions i admire or whose writing i like and they were hyping it up and i was like okay i should read this and i read it and i thought it sucked ass <laughs> and i felt really like let down and disappointed but there's no place to express that because then you just come off as a jerk because everyone's like disposable like it doesn't matter like if i just came on this podcast and should talk some writing by some people like then I would just slowly be pushed out and ignored. Basically. Wow. That was such a down point to end the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the point. (laughs) Talking about that poem about screaming into a horse's mouth. Well, I think it's true. So yeah, I agree. I think if you thought this podcast sucked, then you should, uh, reply to a tweet about it you should leave a bad review on spotify you should email me you should give them your email <laughs> yeah if you're listening to this you probably know someone who has my email address so you can just reach yeah, out to probably. them and they'll, they'll i'd you. like to say that it is not my fault if this podcast sucked i'm just <laughs> i think that's what we're saying it's absolutely i i feel pretty confident it's my fault and then treat and me then like a moderator probably. to a debate i did my best <laughs> I feel like I feel like this whole thing has been quite self-indulgent. It's been fun. Um, looking forward. Um, like, I feel like we've had fun for two hours, and if no one listens to this, it was still a net positive. Like it was good. <laughs> well, you'd be amazed. I'll probably listen to it. Really listen to it for that long? I don't think I told you. You have like six hundred listens on yours. That's 
That's, yeah. that's fucking insane. So if we get anywhere near that, like for this whole thing, like good job. But that's like that. That's like six hundred human hours. Yeah. Like Im- imagine, like I built neutral spaces in less than that time. <laughs> People liked our weird conversation. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think this yeah, is me good. Too. 600, 600 listens is insane. I can't believe Mom listened to it four hundred and fifty times. <laughs> that was my favorite part of the uh of the um chainsaw poems pre-order because the first 50 came with the chainsaw blurbs but Jacqueline's mom wanted 10 copies and she emailed kevin and was like don't send me 10 copies of the blurb book please <laughs> i thought that was good i support that yeah I feel good about the fact that my mom's my biggest fan. I like to think that we all have that going for us. My mom does not like my writing. Aww. She doesn't like my book. That's just sad then. It's fine. I think it's funny. It is funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it ruins what I said, but funny still. <laughs> we should do a podcast with Zach Smith's mom. We should. Oh my God, that'd be the best. Just moms of writers. Actually, that would genuinely be a good I would podcast. To that, yeah. I'd totally listen to that. Really yeah, you great. read something to them and make them talk about it and be really uncomfortable for everybody. <laughs> yeah, my mom is really upset that there's so many swear words in my book of barn poems. My mom thinks that I'm very genuinely suicidal based off of my writing. So, are you genuinely suicidal? No. Do you suicide suicide ideate? No, not really. Oh, you're such a poser. I just have normal, run-of-the-mill depression. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was, like, crazy severe, like, girl-interrupted style to make it worth it, but no. <laughs> this is good. Yeah. I feel good about but, part of me leaving Twitter and part of how I felt during this episode is this idea of, like, completely dismantling my myself as a writer and like just removing myself from everything i liked this podcast where i really got to see a different side of you i really not, did not know that you were so into linguistics i'd like that <laughs> it's yeah wasn't, wasn't that your twitter handles that yeah aren't you zach the linguist that's true yeah 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 it was one of those it's it's funny it's like a cycle it's one of those things where i thought that was going to be my like life like my personality and what i invested a lot of energy into and i put a lot of time into it and i basically dropped out of my phd program and then i um and then i kind of started doing it with writing and now i'm just burning burning out faster than i did before you know what i love right now is that none of us actually are like studied writing writing yeah i think that's good i think that's a good thing yeah i did history so nice Jacqueline did yeah black holes black hole math I took one creative writing class um and I think I took like a general education poetry class about reading poetry in college no none of that here (laughs) I took AP English so I didn't have to do any uh literature classes in college (laughs) but all right Let's make this a recurring, like, weekly shit talk. 
Well, if if this one gets to six hundred listens, then we'll in, include this, and we'll get a third person on. Absolutely, and we'll see how big the podcast can get before we stop breaking six hundred <laughs> listens. You guys could pick the next yeah. person. We'll end up doing. A, <laughs> we'll end up with the fucking other people holiday special, like fifteen people on Zoom making bad jokes about Christmas. Oh my god, lights. that'd be great! I'm on. I'm on board. <laughs> Mallory, I think I think you should invite Brad Listy onto your podcast. I don't know podcast. him, yeah. actually. And I then, totally would. Right, but it's an opportunity for you to get to know him. That'd be great. He's and, a writer. Yeah, right? I know. I th- I th- yeah, I feel like Brad has become the podcaster and everyone forgets that he writes, so you should be interviewed hey, as a if writer. if you figure out a way to get me into contact with him, <laughs> I will totally interview him. You can just email him. I emailed, I emailed him. I asked to be on this podcast when Barn Films was really? coming out. And he replied, so this was, um, this would have been late last year. And so pre-pandemic. And so he replied and said, oh, I only record in person. Are you coming to Los Angeles? Uh, and I said, no. But then the pandemic happened and he started putting out Zoom um, interviews. And then I emailed him back. <laughs> 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 and then he ignored me. Yeah, I've had those. We've all been I felt, I feel good about people. that. It's all right. <laughs> I don't think it's stiff. I think it, it's. I just think it's funny that the pandemic took his excuse away, and then he had to just say, "Like I don't know who you are. I care about you." <laughs> See, I feel my way of saying it sounded nicer, but okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'll catch you guys later. Have a yeah, have Bye. a good day, guys. Yeah, you too. <laughs> well that was zach smith and jacmo pope i hope you enjoyed the show if you want to catch up on past episodes or just see what's going to happen in the future check us out on our twitter at pod healing or our website textualpodcast.com You can subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tune in next week, where we interview Kevin Bigley, the star of the Amazon Prime show Upload and the amazing author of the book Comaville from Clash. This is Mallory saying have a good one. Bye.